You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, I mean, you know, obviously the lineup didn't start well, but our energy coming out of the gate just, it seemed like we were a step off. We were um, maybe thinking too much or slow to react. And, and maybe that's because that group hasn't played together a lot or they were maybe doing something a little bit different. So um, I don't think it was just the lineup. I think there, was a, there wasn't an urgency that you need. And, uh, you know, we went with Muscala, maybe put us back in our comfort zone, put us back in uh, things that we're more familiar with. And, you know, they, they were able to quickly make a good run. And, you know, from there, it seemed like a pretty tight game the rest of the way. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 101 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live from Phillips Arena on this fine Wednesday night. It's Thursday morning as you're listening to this, I'm sure. Uh, but the Atlanta Hawks fell at the hands of the Minnesota Timberwolves by a final score of 92-84 to 84 on this particular evening. And uh, you've already heard from Mike Budenholzer at the top of this podcast. Uh, that was Budenholzer in response to a question about starting a small ball lineup in the absence of Dwight Howard. As you guys probably remember from Monday, uh, the Hawks were very, very successful in playing a small lineup against the Thunder and while Dwight Howard was a late scratch in this game, the game time decision that did not go the way of him playing. Uh, Budenholzer elected to play a small lineup, and as you heard from that clip, uh, things did not go well with that small group, uh, with Paul Millsap at center alongside basically four four guards, four perimeter players, and Corver, Cephalosha, Bazemore, and Schroeder. The team was in a 12-2 hole when that happened. They put in Mike Muscala, and from that point forward, the Hawks actually outscored the Timberwolves by two points for the rest of what was basically a 44-minute, 44-and-a-half-minute uh, time period but uh, the hole was too big in the, in, the, in the early going. I want to be careful to say that that was not the reason the Hawks lost this game because, listen, they were basically playing even basketball for the rest of the game. So at any number of times, the Hawks could have made a push or two or three to uh, grab a victory over a team that they're probably better than. Even without Dwight Howard, I thought the Hawks were still probably, this is probably a game that they should win. You know, Las Vegas still had the Hawks favored by about three and a half or four points when this game tipped off with full knowledge that Howard was out of the lineup. So with that said, you know, you're in, their, you're in your home building after after a day's rest. And I think this is probably a game the Hawks want to win. But I thought it was interesting to sto- go ahead and open things up with Budenholzer talking about that decision and kind of the fallout from that point. I thought Mike Muscala was actually very, very good in this game. And in retrospect, probably should have started this game against what was an interesting lineup for the Timberwolves and that they, they always start two true big men. You know, Carl Anthony Towns is the more famous guy and is, you know, one of the best young players in the NBA. But also Gorgie Jang is really kind of a true center that plays power forward alongside him. So that's a Tom Thibodeau staple for the Timberwolves. But uh, against that two big lineup that was really uh, more prevalent than it was against Oklahoma City. The Thunder did try two bigs and always start two bigs with the Monta Sabonis, but not quite as forcible of an offensive unit with those two guys as you as you saw here with Towns and Jang, and the Hawks paid for that dearly. Uh, I think it was pretty telling that the Hawks went away from that small ball look really for the entire rest of the game. There was, a, a I believe, a tiny spurt here or there, but really uh, it was all uh, sort of traditional-ish lineup. Still, pretty, still fairly small when you're talking about playing Mike Muscala and Mike Scott together, uh, which happened in the second half a great deal. Uh, that's a pretty small lineup. 
lineup, but at the same time, it's not a true small ball lineup in the way that was burned early on in this game. Uh, obviously, you know, some big picture things to hit on here. Uh, the Hawks, uh, you know, after that 12-2 run uh, to open the game for the Timberwolves, the Hawks actually responded with a 16-3 run of their own. It was a pretty interesting uh, back and forth there to kind of level things out early on in this game. I thought uh, there were some defensive moments throughout this game that were very encouraging. Uh, the Timberwolves scored, you know, 92 points on, in a 91 possession game, which is, you know, pretty decent defense. You know, they only allowed 101.2 points per 100 possessions. A lot of that for me was the Timberwolves missing some open shots. I do think that kind of overstates the defensive quality from Atlanta, but in talking to several guys in the locker room after the game, from Mike Budenholzer to Tabo Cephalosha, et cetera, et cetera, uh, they, they were pretty pleased with the defensive effort overall. This was kind of one of those sloppy games. That was the one word that was used by several people in the locker room was the word sloppy, especially when, you know, when pertaining to, the, to Atlanta's offense here. But the, the, on the defensive end, they did what they needed to do uh, in order to get a win, and the offense kind of just let them down in an aggregate sense. Um, you know, The best stretch of this game by any single player actually came from Mike Muscala. Uh, Muscala finished this game with 16 points on 6 of 9 from the floor and 3 of 3 from 3, but the, the third quarter was really the Mike Scala experience. Uh, he began the third quarter coming out of the locker room with an 8-2 personal run against the Wolves. He scored the first eight points, and also Muscala had 11 points within about the first five and a half minutes of the third quarter. And he really, you know, without that without that stretch of time, the Hawks probably would have been in some significant trouble here. Uh, Muscala was very, very good after a couple of you know lackluster performances in my mind. And I've, I've kind of tried to reference that uh, the fact that he's not he's, he's not been playing quite as well as he was early in the season. But this was a very, very good game for Muscala. He was one of only uh, three players on the team that had positive net ratings. One of only two players that played more than just a handful of seconds. You know, the third of those was Tim Hardaway Jr., who we'll get to in a second. It was Muscala and Millsap that were, that were positive net ratings in this game, and that was pretty pretty indicative of the way that both of those guys played here. Uh, when, when they went to the bench and had to go to guys like Mike Scott and some other small ball, you know, some small ball lineups. Of course, the, for the first starting lineup did not go well, as we've already said, uh, almost ad nauseum here. But everything else, uh, you know, Millsap was very, very good. Muscala was very, very good, and I would also say that Dennis Schroeder had a very good game here. We'll come back to those guys in a minute. Other, other big picture takeaways, uh, Torian Prince played two full stints here, which I thought was interesting. Uh, after not seeing him for a while, Prince played 11 minutes. Um, you know, by, actually, Budenholzer went away from Malcolm Delaney in the second half of this game. Delaney played only six minutes uh, on this night, and in the second half, uh, when Schroeder sat, and Dennis did play uh, upwards of 37 minutes here, so not exactly a lot of time to play without Schroeder, but uh, Delaney played six minutes in the first half and did not appear in the second. The Hawks went to this uh, no, no point guard lineup with Kent Bazemore. Uh, he was asked about Budos was asked about that after the game and kind of you know deflected in some way but did say that they were comfortable with Bazemore sort of attacking off the dribble and you know defensively I thought the Hawks were are, are just fine every time Bazemore's at, at the point guard defensively you're not really giving up much there it's just the offensive end of the court and given how poor the offense was on the aggregate tonight uh, that was something that probably could be questioned you know Delaney was not good in his first stint I would I would not say that even, even as a fan of his game he did not play well in the first half and his one stint of uh, basketball here but uh, I thought it was interesting to say the least that the Hawks went with that no point guard lineup especially because as I said previously Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, was not available. Uh, Hardaway uh, did appear in this game. He was not out for the. He was not out at the beginning of the game, but played, played less than two minutes. Uh, did, ha did have a basket. Was one of one from the floor. Is all that happened here, and he left early. It was actually a dunk from Hardaway. 
He left the game early with a groin injury uh, in the first half. He was uh, initially listed as questionable to return, but uh, by, the, by the time the third quarter arrived, it was pretty clear that Hardaway would not be participating in the rest of the game. He was limping around pretty visibly on the bench, uh, hopefully not a long-term issue, and there was no update to be provided for from Budenholzer. He was asked about it and kind of gave a non-answer after the game. Not surprising. you know, We, we haven't had a lot of time to digest that, but uh, Hardaway did not return. He definitely could have been useful in this game. Uh, you all know that I'm not the biggest proponent of Hardaway Jr., but offensively, he certainly could have brought some creation to the table in a way that the Hawks definitely needed uh, in this spot. And, you know, in a game in which the Hawks scored 92.4 points per 100 possessions on the way to 84 points total, that was, uh, it's definitely not a coincidence, at least not a full-on one, that, you know, one of the best offensive wings on the team was not available uh, in this spot. Uh, that'll kind of do it for you know big picture stuff. There was a couple of a couple of other things to talk about. Uh, Mike Budenholzer uh, kind of spoke a little bit about uh, you know how much they, how much he learned about Paul Millsap uh, playing so much center on Monday night, and that kind of goes along with what we talked about early in this podcast about the small ball lineup. I did want to play that clip for you. Uh, I want to tell you ahead of time this was actually from before the game, so we, at this point we did not know that Dwight Howard was not going to play, but uh, he was asked about whether there was anything to be gleaned from Monday and that small ball lineup, and really from Paul playing center and how much uh, that was a one-off or how much it would continue tonight. We saw, of course, that, that, that the team began in that, small ball, in, that, in that small ball front, but I do want to play this for you uh, in the uh, in sort of the column that happens before the game instead of after it, just to see uh, what you want to take away from uh, Bud's thoughts both before and after the game. So here's Bootenholzer before uh, Wednesday night's game. Um, I would say both. You know, I think, I think we've been putting a few lineups out there that are probably a little bit unorthodox or a little bit unusual, and Sometimes it's been with Dwight at the five and four smaller guys, and Tabo's been playing some four. And, um, and like you said, occasionally Paul's played some five, even the last couple of years. And sometimes he likes to, even if there's another, you know, more traditional five on our, he'll guard some of the fives. And um, it's just, I think, speaks to Paul's uniqueness. And you know, I think all everybody has to help rebound if we're playing groups like that. And, um, but Paul is, gives us a lot of options, a lot of flexibility. Again, nothing groundbreaking there from Bud, but I do want you guys to hear sort of the contrast and a little bit of thinking there. And, you know, talk about Dwight Howard just a little bit. Uh, Howard, you know, missing a second straight game with, with a back injury is a little bit worrisome. They've uh, actually stopped call, They've actually stopped short of calling it an injury to this point. It's basically just been uh, stiffness or tightness that they've referred to. Uh, Dwight was in the locker room and moving, you know, what, from what I saw fairly well, although he's, he was not available to the media considering he did not play in this game after the fact, but he was around and seemed to be looking just fine. Uh, there was a tweet from Chris Bibblemore, the AJC, at, at shoot-around on Wednesday before the game that said Howard's back had been improving. So this might have been just a, a, a spot where the team was trying to be safe by not playing him. That's, that'd be sort of a hawksy move and that Atlanta is kind of famous for getting a guy an extra day. It will be very, very interesting to see if he plays on Friday night in Denver, uh, considering you know you have the altitude stuff there, you have the travel that will take place. It's usually probably not good for for somebody's back, uh, that somebody somebody the size of Dwight who has a history of back trouble to be traveling on a plane to Denver. So we'll see if he even makes the trip, etc. But uh, I would worry a little bit about this only because of the fact that he has that history and at, at his age, you know Howard. That's one one of the two areas along with his knee that you do not want to see problems with. So hopefully Howard will be back sooner rather than later. I'm not been the biggest proponent of Howard in the aggregate, but I will say, you know, he's he's a very useful player. Uh, I, will, I will say that, you know, the offense, uh, the offensive issues in this game probably would, probably would not have been solved by Dwight Howard. I've, I've kind of been saying over and over again that I think the Hawks might be better offensively without Dwight in the lineup, and really it's the defense and the rebounding that become the bigger issues when uh, when he is uh, when he's on the court versus when he's off the court, but the Hawks were out-rebounded uh, by a huge margin here. 
Uh, the Wolves got 35.7% of their offensive rebound, which is a staggeringly high number. Um, so obviously, some of that is because Dwight was not in the lineup. He's easily the best rebounder on this team. But, you know, Dwight, Paul Millsap did a good job with 10 rebounds uh, in, his, in his role here. There was some, there was some gang rebounding happening, but uh, it was certainly a glaring weakness. And if not for those rebounds, those 15 offensive rebounds for uh, Minnesota, it probably could have been an even better defensive performance for Atlanta. So something to keep an eye on there. They built around uh, Howard and kind of knowing that they have him around uh, to be that, that anchor on the, on the defensive glass. And really, you know, he's been very good on the offensive glass as well, creating extra, extra possessions. So so uh, keep an eye on that, and we'll see how he looks uh, if, if he's able to come back on Friday in Denver. Uh, with that, I wanted to talk about some, some, specific, some specific players uh, in this game. Uh, Paul Millsap, of course, I referenced earlier, finished with 18 points, 10 rebounds, and 7 assists. Uh, this is going to sound like uh, I'm a broken record here, but Paul was the best player on the court for Atlanta. Again, in this game, he did not shoot the ball well from the floor. He was 0 of 5 from 3, which is kind of the one black mark, but he did a pretty good job defensively on Carl Anthony Towns here. Uh, Towns had seven, did have 17 points and 18 rebounds. I mentioned the rebounding earlier uh, just a second ago, but uh, six turnovers versus five assists for Towns. I thought Millsap was a, certainly a deterrent for him in a very, very difficult matchup because Towns is uh, giving uh, Millsap a lot of size issues in that matchup. And because Towns is so skilled, it was it's not a run-of-the-mill um, you know, size disparity for Paul. So I thought he did a pretty good job there. And offensively, he was easily the best interior player for Atlanta and just kind of a ho-hum, strong performance from Paul. Uh, Dennis Schroeder uh, was the other guy who sort of stood out aside from Miscala, who we already talked about. Uh, Schroeder had 21 points and seven assists, only one turnover from Dennis. Uh, did, he did shoot a struggling one of seven from the three-point line. Which is going to happen, you know. I think we talked about with Robbie Calland on yesterday's show that uh, Schroeder's shooting is probably unsustainable. I think he's in, he was he entered this game somewhere in the thirty-five percent, I mean thirty-eight percent range. That's not the guy he is, and you know, seeing a one of seven here kind of brings him back down to earth, which is to be expected. But on the whole, I thought Dennis played very, very well here, and really in the recent past, I think Dennis has been uh, about, uh, just about as good as he's ever been, and in the NBA, you know, over the last you know several games, you look, you look at the numbers in and of themselves. You know, he had a thirty-three point game in the win over Milwaukee, a 19.13 assist game, even in the loss to Orlando, 24 points against Toronto, uh, sort of a, a, an up and down game against Charlotte, but you know, 31 and eight against Oklahoma City, and again, 21 and seven here. He's, you know, the turnovers are continuing to be something, something to monitor for Dennis, and that's something that he's probably never going to be rid of, at least uh, not anytime soon, but only one here, and I think Dennis is just basically playing the best basketball of his career, so kudos to him. It was certainly not his fault that this game went in the in a south direction, because I thought he outplayed Ricky Rubio for the lion's share of this game. On the wing, uh, Tavo Cephalosian, Kent Bazemore, you know, sort of run-of-the-mill games for both guys. Tavo did a lot of great great things defensively, had four steals, six rebounds, four points. Um, you know, not a great offensive game for Tavo, not that there uh, usually are a ton of those, but you know, he didn't kill you there, but uh, I think he was, you know, kind of just what he normally is. Bazemore, three of nine from the floor. Uh, he was a little bit overzealous a few times, in my opinion. You know, defensively played fairly well, had four block shots in this game. Uh, he was the, you know, we'll talk about this in a second, but also Kyle Korver had four block shots, so eight block shots from your uh, from two starting wings in this game which is a bit jarring to uh, think about but I thought Kent was it was an up and down game for Bazemore I was kind of critical of his play on Monday and got killed for that but I think he was uh, definitely not good here he was fine uh, defensively was okay did a decent job on Levine I was pretty taken aback early on in that you know Bazemore was uh, ended up guarding Rubio to start this game when they went the small lineup, small lineup that's one of the things that I really didn't understand about Budenholzer as deployment with that small lineup early on 
you know, Kyle Korver was guarding Gorgie Jang, which is kind of a necessary evil when you do that. But I thought it was interesting, to say the least, that they had Schroeder trying to chase around Zach Levine in the early going with Bazemore uh, on Rubio. I would definitely want to flip those two. But uh, again, it didn't last too long, so not a huge criticism from me on that. I just thought it was definitely noteworthy and something that I probably would not have done. But, you know, Bazemore played, you know, decently here. Not great, not great, not horrible. And uh, the block shots are sort of an aberration, but uh, a reasonable game here from Kemp. Uh, the last starter that I have not talked about, uh, Kyle Korver, of course, four block shots. I thought he was very, very good defensively in this game. Um, just not even just not even just the block shots, but just kind of always being in the right places. This was the peak uh, Kyle Korver defensive game that I always talk about. That he's, he's always in the right place at the right time. He's a great defensive player in terms of a team concept. Not a shutdown guy by any means. He'll never be that. But um, Corbin was it was in passing lanes. His length was uh, useful. I could see why Bud wanted to try Kyle. Uh, on 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 Jang in that small ball line because you know Corver is bigger than you think he is. He plays bigger than he, than you think he is. Had five rebounds, three assists, had ten points. You know, four of ten shooting, not great. Two of six from three, not ideal either. But I thought Kyle was reasonably effective here on the whole and defensively. I thought, especially in the first half, he was very very good uh, in terms of uh, a, 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 you know when, when compared to his actual baseline on the defensive end of the court. Uh, two more guys to talk about, and then we'll get and then we'll get you guys out of here. Mike Scott. Uh, played his most minutes in a long, long time with 18 minutes. Um, I thought Mike, you know, was not impressive by any stretch of the imagination in this game, but uh, you could tell Bud is uh, starting to trust Mike Scott. It was easily his season high in minutes. So, you know, he in, in total for the season, he's still, I think, is only about 35. So, you know, half of his minutes for the year were in this game. And, you know, it was a mixed bag, one of four from the floor. He had a couple of, uh, you know, gaffes on the defensive end, which is kind of what you expect from Mike. But I, I, th I thought he looked healthier than I've seen him. And uh, with that kind of workload, that was a good thing to see. It was, I thought it was noteworthy that Budnozer played Scott ahead of Chris Humphreys yet again. We'll talk about Humphreys in a second, but... Scott was okay here. Uh, I'm a little bit encouraged. I've not seen his offensive explosion in the same way that he probably has to have in order to be a rotation player in the NBA. But uh, I thought it was a pretty encouraging performance from Mike, and good to see him play 18 minutes, even if it was not the best, uh, you know, in terms of uh, actual contributions. Uh, lastly, Torian Prince uh, did play the 11 minutes. I said, I said that before he played, you know, to play two stints. A mixed bag also for Torian. You know, he was not efficient offensively, 0-2 from the floor. Um, you know, was kind of lost a few times offensively, I thought, for sure. But uh, defensively, you could see the upside with Torian and the fact that he was uh, kind of chasing around Chris Dunn for a minute, who was the point guard, backup point guard from Minnesota. We saw him muscling up on Andrew Wiggins. You see you see that upside on the defensive end of the court, and I, I will never argue with the Hawks playing Prince more minutes, even if he's not uh, performing as well as probably somebody else that somebody else would have, uh, considering the fact that this is not going to be a, a championship team this season by any stretch. I will always ride for more minutes for Torian Prince, and I thought he was uh, at least interesting here. You saw some flashes of what he could be down the line. Uh, last thing, Chris Humphreys, I said a minute ago, did not play in this game. I think, I think it's pretty telling in terms of uh, the future that uh, without Dwight Howard in the lineup, without Tiago Splitter available, Chris Humphreys has not played in either of the last two games. Uh, granted, there was some matchup concerns there, but uh, Humphreys is around, you know, presumably, presumably for insurance. I've been pretty critical of him. I was excited to see Mike Scott play ahead of him here, but, you know, it's tough to, for me to reconcile why he would be around and on the team, why, that, why the team would have signed him if he was not going to get on the court 
the situation where the quote unquote top two centers from the offseason and you know two of your three center options alongside Mike Muscala were, were all unavailable and Humphrey still could not get on the floor. So something to watch for there. Uh, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a situation that would be more uh, more enticing to play Humphreys considering that the Wolves were dominating on the glass, but he still can get on the court, and I was okay with it to be honest with you. So uh, keep an eye on that situation. You know, Humphreys is, could be not terribly happy with this, but uh, he's a veteran. He's he's making four million dollars this year. He's on the roster, and we'll see what takes place from this point forward. That's going to kind of do it for today, guys. I hope you guys appreciate uh, the background noise. Hopefully it's not too bad coming to you live from Phillips Arena. It's, I always like this uh, this live setting. I'm going to continue to do it unless you guys tell me that it's uh, that it's awful for the listener. So I hope I hope it's okay. I hope you listen, uh, enjoyed that uh, that direct audio from Mike Budenholzer. Uh, that's going to do it again for today. Please subscribe to the podcast if you're not already on, on, on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or whichever podcast platform that you like to use. Also, every single podcast, including this one, will be host on, hosted on peachtreehoops.com where I am a writer and editor and uh, thanks as always guys stay tuned for another show on Friday morning and as always thanks for listening